0: In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) And with that move, let me say that the era of vertically challenged priests at all saints is coming to a close. So no longer will people need to use this little step to see over or be seen when standing behind the pulpit. At the same time, though, Father Cailin, do not get rid of it. You never know what might happen or who might need it in the future. So when considering this liturgical year, You may have noticed that we are spending a significant amount of time in the gospel according to St. Luke. You see, Luke challenges us in ways that we may not like. He challenges us with practical applications of the gospel to our lives. See, when asking people to explain the gospel, I often hear people talk about the story of salvation, which I've noted in the past is part. Of the gospel. At the same time, if any gospel writer places the gospel's implications in the reader's face, it is St. Luke. He challenges what many people attempt to do today, this thing that I like to call the spiritualization, the spiritualization of the gospel. Luke presents an embodied gospel that demands of his readers and hearers something much greater than mental assent or confessional belief. He does this concerning the marginalized of society, especially the poor. You see, in the Sermon on the Plain, no, he's not on the mountain in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. He does not say, Poor in spirit. But people often impose Matthew's presentation on Luke as it spiritualizes the concept and relieves believers of their personal responsibilities regarding the poor. Jesus declares in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen this passage and the verses that follow spiritualized to talk about the spiritually poor, the spiritually captive, the spiritually blind, and the spiritually oppressed. But when we look at the words of Holy Scripture, that is not what the Word of God says here. You see, in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, when John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus, Jesus sends them back to John so that they can tell what they have seen. And one of the things that they saw and Jesus told them to tell John was that the poor have the good news preached to them. In chapter 14, verse 13, while at a banquet, Jesus tells the man who invited him that when he gives a feast, he should invite the poor. People who could not repay him. Additionally, when telling him a parable to emphasize this point, Jesus notes in verse 21 of that same chapter that the master told his servants to invite the variously marginalized of their society with the poor at the front of the list. And while a couple of weeks ago you heard Jesus' instructions to invite the poor from earlier in the chapter, you will not hear the other passages I just mentioned on a Sunday morning as they are not found in our Sunday lectionary. At the same time, today's gospel reading ties these concepts together and challenges us with not only our actions but our attitudes, especially toward the poor. Verses 19 through 21, as found in your worship bulletin, highlight that the world is filled with inequities. In this case, we have the rich and the poor. Now, before anyone jumps to the ability of people just to make it with hard work, the realities of life are much different than the idealism with which many people think. Now, I know these numbers are a little old, but a series of surveys done between 12 and 15 years ago reveals that the number of people with PhDs on public assistance tripled in the period between 2007 and 2010. Now, Maybe it's because I fall within that camp of people who worked hard to achieve such a degree, but at the same time, it would seem that if anybody's a picture of hard work and sleepless nights and blood, sweat, tears, and money, it's this group of people who are serving others and yet receive public assistance. Their hard work didn't get them to the category that some people might expect. And my understanding is that these numbers have only increased in the past decade. You see, the Bible repeatedly acknowledges the inequities of life. Which leads me to ask, why can't the people of God consistently do so? The rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen. He feasted sumptuously every day. At the same time, the poor man A man named Lazarus, the only person in the text besides Abraham, who has a name, was laid at the rich man's gate. You see, he could not get there independently. Likely, likely due to some physical disability related to his sores. Other people placed him there. And while he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table, the dogs had more compassion than the rich man. They licked Lazarus' sores, which would potentially help bring him some healing and relief. People of God, never let it be said that an animal had more compassion on someone bearing the image of God than you. Despite the inequities that exist in this life, everybody dies. Lazarus died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The man who could not do anything for himself, who could not function in his own power, is again cared for by others, this time angelic beings. On the other hand, the rich man died and was buried. The contrast is stark. You see, Lazarus is at Abraham's side while the rich man is in Hades. He is in torment. And it is from there that he lifts up his eyes and sees Abraham and Lazarus with him. And sadly, Luke's Gospel reveals that attitude is everything, even in death. You see, the people of God need what I like to call a sanctified mind, one that has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we are conformed to the image of Christ. And the rich man obviously did not have one. He saw Lazarus, a fellow image-bearer, as less than, He saw him as a servant. He saw Lazarus as nothing more than a person to be used for his benefit and pleasure. How do you see the poor among us? When seeing Lazarus with Abraham, the rich man cries to Abraham that he would send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool his tongue. Seriously? I am in anguish in this flame. Send him to bring me relief. Think about this for just a moment. The rich man recognizes Lazarus, but does not speak to him. He probably had a lot of experience doing that in his earthly life, actually. That leads me to ask, how much experience do you have in engaging in similar types of behavior? You see, actions far more than words seem to reflect people's attitudes and current actions result in eternal consequences. Before anyone goes down the theological road, After reading this text that says, well, the rich go to hell and the poor go to heaven. So let me put this section of the text into theological perspective for you. In response to the rich man's request, Abraham says, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. Now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Remember, Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate. But the text is silent regarding anything the rich man did for Lazarus. Jesus portrays him as doing nothing for Lazarus. And this should serve as a warning to those in the church, particularly those attempting to abandon practical responsibilities associated with their faith. To quote New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, and for those of you who know me, you know that it must be good if I'm quoting him. Like many of Luke's teachings in the central section of the gospel, the decisive eschatological issue is not wickedness, but neglect. You see, the rich man did not murder Lazarus. He did nothing to or for him. He simply let him suffer and die. How often do you stand aside while bad things happen to other people? Do you not want to interfere? Do you not want to rock the boat? Do you not want to get involved because it might cost you something? You see, in our prayer book, there is a section of prayers that I fear are rarely prayed by many people. And one says, deliver us from poverty, prejudice and oppression, that peace may prevail with righteousness and justice with mercy. And another says, grant us grace to contend fearlessly against evil and to make no peace with oppression. And help us to use our freedom rightly in the establishment of justice in our communities and among the nations to the glory of thy holy name. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as you pray, you have a responsibility not only to say the words, but to do those words. Like using your freedom rightly in the establishment of justice. But sadly, I fear that far too often people in the church make peace with oppression as long as that oppression does not negatively impact them. Do not be like the rich man. Do not neglect or ignore those suffering around you. And finally, The text reveals that the word of God is sufficient for knowing how to live. Sadly, we see the perpetual nature of the rich man's attitude. Even though Lazarus is not coming to bring him water, the rich man is now asking Abraham to send Lazarus, the man whom he still will not speak to back from the dead to the horrible existence he had in this life, to now satisfy his humanistic desire that his family not suffer the same fate as he. In response to the rich man's, send Lazarus back as a miracle to do my folks some good so that they might believe, request. Abraham notes that they have Moses. And the prophets. In other words, these two major sections of Scripture for the Hebrew people served as a foundation for belief. Principally, this means that for us, the Word of God that we have in the canon of Holy Scripture is sufficient for you today. The 39 Articles of Religion of the Anglican Church beautifully and authoritatively declare... Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation. As a result, we should understand that all we need to know with regard to caring for others can be drawn from the principles of Holy Scripture and should never stand in contradiction to them. Many times people say, well, what do we do? Open up the Bible and read what it says. And then, go do it. You see, the text here reveals that you cannot serve God and money. And before anybody says I'm copying Father Kalen's sermon from last week, I'm simply following the text, you see. The audience of this story is still the Pharisees who the text notes are lovers of money. And now was a good time to bring some clarity to an oft-misquoted passage of Scripture. Many people assert that money is the root of all evil. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, the verse right before our epistle lesson begins for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the opening of our reading from 1 Timothy tells the people of God to flee these things. Flee the love of money. Do not be like the Pharisees in this text who love money. Now, if you think that Jesus, St. Luke or I, have a horrible disdain or hatred for the poor or even for the rich, on the contrary, the next time the poor are mentioned in Luke's Gospel, Jesus speaks to a man and tells him that to inherit eternal life he needs to sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. The man heard this and became very sad for he was extremely rich. Now if this had been... The first church of today, many ministers would simply say that they were speaking spiritually and that they would not have to do anything to inherit the kingdom of God besides confess and believe. At the same time, Jesus let this rich man walk away. But all hope for the rich is not lost because it's not about One's possessions, it's about one's disposition toward their possessions. And we see later on in Luke's Gospel, in the story of Zacchaeus, we see a rope go through the eye of a needle. Because upon encountering Jesus, Zacchaeus declares that he will give half his goods to the poor and restore fourfold to all he had defrauded. You see, upon meeting Jesus, Zacchaeus no longer seems to have money as his master. What does that say about people in the church who do have money as their master? All Saints, as you embark on the journey to the future... May your attitudes and actions wholly reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. And that means giving of ourselves beyond our desires and seeking forgiveness when we fail to live out what it means to follow Jesus fully. May it be so. Amen.